Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello again. Great to be with you and opening up Titus, our, as Adam said, our last night, the book of Titus. Why don't I pray as we, uh, we get into it? Gracious Heavenly Father, help us now to not be distracted, uh, to listen to the voice that really matters, your voice in your word, the book of Titus. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to dig deep uh, from the things that you say. Uh, help us to love and honour Jesus more as a result of our time tonight. Uh, Lord, help me to speak faithfully and clearly, uh, graciously and truthfully. And Lord, help us to respond in a way that that pleases you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're talking about focus and not being distracted. Focus and not being distracted. Now, what's going to keep you on track as a disciple of Jesus? If you call yourself a Christian, how are you going to stay the course as a Christian for your whole life? Now, I know that you don't want to be categorised, no one wants to be boxed in, but I'm going to put everyone in this room in four categories. The four categories are the categories that Jesus uses. You're, you're one of these four people. I don't know whether you remember, Jesus uh, said this parable in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower. The sower, the farmer, uh, throws out seed onto different soils. Uh, it represents four different groups of people. Uh, see if you can identify yourself. The first one, uh, Jesus says, some people are like seed along the path uh, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Is that you? So you, you probably won't know that uh, even tonight, but you, you're hearing the word of God, but it's bouncing off you. Uh, and you, you won't let it penetrate, you won't think upon it, you won't let it take root and change you. Uh, that's what's going on for you. That's the first one. Uh, the second one, others, Jesus said, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. As the person who becomes a follower of Jesus, professes faith in Christ with great joy, but then difficulty comes or sickness comes or some trouble comes or some uh, hard time because you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you quickly fall away. Uh, that's the second kind of person. Third kind of person, Jesus said, still others like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, come in and choke the word, making unfruitful. You're, you're listening to the word of God, you've, you've taken it on board, you're growing up as a Christian, but around you, you've let uh, flourish weeds that choke the word of God. So now the word of God doesn't get the hearing that it should. Uh, or maybe you're not listening in and you're not being fruitful, you're not being productive. Uh, it's the person who loves their job more than they love, love Jesus, uh, who loves money or career or status 
or sport or whatever else it is, or family or friends or a relationship more than Jesus. And all of those things are choking the Word of God. Um, It's the kind of person who slowly but surely is at church less and less and less and less. Um, I'm sure you've seen this. No one wakes up one morning and says, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. It's death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? Uh, It's little by little, one decision by next decision, that slowly you don't call yourself a Christian anymore. Uh, It's a decision you make this week, this month, this year, year in, year out, uh, that makes you unfruitful, Jesus says. And then there's the fourth kind of person, Jesus says, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. So this is the the mature disciple, the strong follower of Jesus, uh, the one that produces the healthy, juicy fruit. Think the big, healthy tree that has shade for other people. Uh, The person who has an impact for the gospel in a thousand different ways to all the people around them, uh, living, good works, fruit for eternity. And I hope you want to be that fourth kind of person. Uh, I I certainly want you to be that fourth kind of person. That's what I'm praying for. How awesome would it be to all of of salt be that fourth kind of person? Mature, uh, growing in maturity, uh, in love for one another, in love for God, bearing fruit in in a thousand different ways. Uh, That's what we want as a church. Uh, Growing in number, but growing in maturity. Uh, That's our prayer, isn't it? To see thousands of people across the Illawarra, not just start well as a Christian, but be lifelong disciples of Jesus. But here's the question, how do you stay on track to be that person? And I want to say, it won't just happen. Uh, Nobody becomes a deeply mature, faithful, fruitful Christian by accident. Uh, If you're a man, the most common way for you to exit Christianity is that you get caught up in your work and that's what drifts you away from Jesus. Uh, If you're a woman, it's it's more likely to be a relationship. Uh, A relationship with an unbeliever uh, or the person that you've chosen to marry or the people that you hang out with and influence you, they're the ones most likely... Uh, that's the thing that's most likely going to have an impact on whether you're a fruitful, unfruitful Christian. But it happens with churches too, doesn't it? Churches lose their way. Have you noticed this? I was up on the Central Coast this week. Uh, There's some great churches on the Central Coast. I used to be part of one. Uh, Not perfect, but growing and healthy. Um, But you drive around the Central Coast and there's so many churches where you look at them and you go, wow, that was once, I'm sure, a thriving church community, a a growing church, a faithful church, convicted, giving to the work of the gospel, growing in number, growing in maturity, and now hardly anyone goes there. Now there's hardly any fruit, hardly any maturity, hardly anyone becoming, no one becoming Christian. There's just so many distractions, so many temptations, so many off-ramps 
to the road of maturity and growth, isn't it? How do you stay on course? Well, have you heard of the 10,000-hour rule? Who's heard of this rule? Yeah? So, has anyone claimed to practice it? No? That's just a good theory, isn't it? Um, They say that uh, 10,000 hours of practice will make you an expert in anything. So you want to be good at something, you want to be an expert, you want to master something, you've got to commit yourself for 10,000 hours. Who's up for that? Um, yep. Uh, and what does that equate to? It's, it's three hours a day for nine years. Okay? So think about what you want to get good at. Uh, it might be hitting a golf ball, might be play, playing chess. Why would you want to get good at playing chess? I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, this guy, Malcolm Gladwell... Uh, he, he's championed this idea in his book, Outliers, The Story of Success. Um, it seems such a massive amount of hours, doesn't it? Um, we say to people at our beginning course, if you're new with us at SALT, how do you get connected? How do you uh, connect into church life here? It's probably going to take about 100 hours. Um, so every time you come along to church, catch up with someone for coffee, come along to a small group there's the hours building as you get to know one another and build relationship. But 10,000 hours seems crazy. They've actually debunked this. Um, They've said that actually it's the time, not just the time spent practising that's important, it's the the kind of practice you do. It's, uh, so it's the right kind of practice. You've got to have the right genetic makeup. That's disappointing, isn't it? (laughs) Um, It depends on when you started in life. It depends on your age. It depends on how you learn. All of these will combine to see whether you get mastery. But here's the thing. It does teach us one thing. There's great power in disciplined focus. But what are we to focus on if we're going to be disciples for a lifetime? I I want you to have a look at Titus with me. Because the answer is in the theme of Titus, as we sum up tonight, and it's in the passage that we're looking at tonight. So open up to Titus chapter 3, verse 8 to 15. Now, if you've come in tonight for the uh, final night, uh, what's the context? Paul, the Apostle Paul, has left the apprentice, if you like, the young pastor Titus on the island of Crete, that's off uh, Greece in the Mediterranean Sea, He's given instructions to Titus. Uh, Here's what it'll look like for you to grow the church uh, on the island of Crete. And here's some instructions for the whole of church. So according to Titus, what do we need to focus on? Well, did you notice in our series, there's lots of instructions in Titus. Lots of things for us to do. And I reckon you could be tempted, isn't the answer, just keep focusing on those things. Um... So Paul says eight times, commit yourself to doing good. There's a great summary. If you're a follower of Jesus, just think, how can I keep doing good, good in the eyes of God? Uh, That's my goal. Look at verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So just keep thinking about, considering, praying about how can I do good in every sphere of my life, in every relationship, 
Uh, who is it around me that I can bless, that I can be generous towards, uh, that I can speak a good word to, that I can encourage, that I can point to people, a person I can point to Jesus to? Just keep doing good. But I want to say that's not the theme of the letter. You could say that's the fruit of the theme. There's a deeper theme in Titus. And, and that's where the answer is, what, what we're to focus on. The answer is not what we do, it's what God has done for us. It's actually the gospel of grace. See, what does Paul, Paul do throughout the letter? He, he gives instructions, but they're book, they keep being bookended by grace. You start with grace, let me tell you what that means for your life. And then he finishes with grace. It happens here at the, in chapter 3. Uh, the whole letter is about the kindness of God. Uh, it's the kindness of God, the gospel of grace, that will transform the island of Crete. It will change the world. It's what will radically change you and I. If we focus on it and not get distracted from it. Now, what is the gospel of grace? Uh, you might not have heard that word much used before. Gospel just means good news. And there's a beautiful summary of it. Have a look Uh, in chapter 3, just a few verses up, in verse 3. Here is the timeless gospel of grace that changes the world. Paul says, at one time, we too were foolish, that's all of us, we were disobedient, Uh, we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Uh, We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You could miss that really important part because Titus keeps moving from what God has done to what we need to do. And here is something that God has done that we could not do for ourselves. This is the thing to focus on. Uh, What is is it saying there? It's saying, before you became a friend with God, you had your back turned to God, you were not interested in Him, and His sheer kindness drew you in. Uh, What is He saying here? He's saying, you were black in your sin, you were darkened in your understanding, and God brought you in and washed you clean. You were an orphan without a family. God adopted you. Now you have a father in heaven. That's the kindness of God. How does it happen? It happens because Jesus died for sins, died for your sins, that you might be forgiven. It says that there's nothing I can do to make God love me. Uh, I haven't contributed in any way to be a child of God. I'm forgiven by the sheer mercy of God. How is that possible? It's only possible because Jesus has died on the cross for my sins. That is the gospel of grace. And what does Paul say here? Look at verse 8. He says, I want you to stress these things. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So just keep stressing the gospel of grace, keep emphasising it, keep underlining it. Uh, these, that'll, 
that's, that's what will lead to good works. These are the things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. So it's worth pausing at that point and, and thinking about church here at SALT. How would you describe our culture here at SALT? Is it a culture of the gospel of grace? Is that what you keep hearing? Uh, that's what we want to be speaking from the front. Uh, that's what we want to be speaking in our conversations with one another. Uh, just keep talking about the, the kindness of God to one another. Uh, that's what will shape our work together as we make disciples. Um, that's what we want to shape our kids' ministry and our youth ministry. Uh, that's what we want heard really loudly and clearly at, at our life series. Uh, when people join us at the beginning, we want them to hear the kindness and mercy of God. That's where it all starts. We need to focus on the gospel of grace. We need to stress this, underline this, major on this. But you know the other real test of whether we're doing this at Seoul is our relationships with one another. Uh, how would you know that we are on about the gospel of grace, the mercy of God, the kindness of God? Well, people who are on about the gospel of grace, it spills over to gracious relationships with one another. Uh, people who are quick to forgive, uh, quick to show grace and mercy to one another, it impacts all of our relationships. What does Jesus say? The one who's forgiven much, loves much. So you get a, a deep sense of your forgiveness in Jesus, you, that is what fuels you to love welcome, forgive others. The gospel of grace is what we need to focus on. It's the fuel for all the good works that Paul's been talking about in the, in the book of Titus. Uh, it's, it's actually the gospel of grace that does the work. It motivates us, it pushes us forward uh, to do those good works. Look at chapter 2 with me again. Uh, remember a few weeks ago... Uh, so chapter 2, for the grace of God, uh, verse 11, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And what does it do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. How do you live that way? You live that way because the grace of God teaches you. Um, I've been up on the, the central coast this week and... Uh, had this amazing privilege, uh, part of the Reach Australia Leadership Program, uh, to visit uh, a large church on the Central Coast, EV Church, part of our network of churches, FIEC. Uh, and they let us come, they call it under the hood or under the bonnet, come and see what we do, um, ask some questions, spend some time with the lead pastor and his wife, uh, Andrew and Kathy Hurd. Uh, there was a night on Tuesday night where we went to their place for dinner. There's 10 pastors around the table. Uh, we're talking about church and uh, Andrew's been lead pastor there for 27 years. Uh, it, it's a church that started with a handful of people. It's now a church of about 1,900 people. Uh, and I just couldn't resist to ask him the question, what has kept you going in ministry for 27 years? Uh, through all the ups and downs of church life, through the pain, the difficulty, uh, it's tough 
going? Uh, and it's the, question, it, it, it's the question that he went quiet for a moment and then he thought about it and he said, it's actually the same thing that's kept me going as a Christian. It's the gospel of grace. It's that I just keep reminding myself, I am a sinner forgiven by God. Uh, Jesus has died for me. There's an enormous power in the cross, in what Jesus has done to change me, to change the world. Uh, failure is not final. Heaven and hell are real. Uh, the church is the most precious thing in all the world that God is working on before Jesus returns. It's just that simple. And so feed on the gospel of grace. Uh, let, let the gospel of grace seep deep within your heart. Keep nurturing that, that thought, that idea, I am saved by the sheer kindness of God. That is amazing. Uh, keep stressing the gospel to your friends, to, to, uh, in small group, to your workmates, to your flatmates, just keep thinking about the gospel of grace. There is the spring where the fountain comes towards good works. There is the, the motivation, the power to live a very different life. Uh, there is the grace, there is grace to, that actually liberates you to give yourself sacrificially with joy. Uh, it's the way we, we be, became a follower of Jesus and it's the way you keep walking with Jesus. Uh, it's not like you leave the gospel of grace behind and now we'll get on with doing good works and, and law and rules. And so my job is not to berate you with all those rules, but keep reminding you of the gospel of grace that will empower you to live that life, a different life for Jesus. Well, there's the first bit. Now, the second bit is, is something not good in Titus chapter 3. Here is something that will derail you and something that will derail us as a church if we let it. Uh, but let me tell you about something that Natalie and I derailed last Friday. Um, so one of, our, one of our daughters, who we won't name, uh, just finished year 12, uh, about to go on a trip overseas with a good friend of hers uh, and, and uh, his family. They invited her in and uh, she's been planning for this trip for six months, saving for it. We said we'd help, help you get there, we'd, we'd give towards it, we'll get you organised. Um, those days were being counted down. That day to leave in Sydney Airport was, was last Friday. Um, she drives up with their family and we get a message to say um, there's a problem. Um, now, what's, what's the one thing, if you're going on an overseas trip, that you, you can't leave behind, right? Um, there's lots of things you can afford to leave behind. There's lots of things you can even buy at the airport. You, I don't think you even need a ticket anymore. You can get a ticket at the airport. Um, there's one thing. It's your passport, right? But she had a passport. But there's something else about a passport. There's a date in the passport. Uh, and she had a valid passport, but you need six months on the passport to arrive 
safely in Samoa. And so it's no-go. It's come up and get your daughter. Uh, It's parent fail time. It's a very, very quiet car trip all the way home to Wollongong. Um, The the, um, passport office, the consulate of Samoa, they... They, they shut shop on 3.30 on Friday afternoon. I think it was about 10 past 3. They said, yep, we can help you turn up on Monday at 8.30 and we'll get you sorted out. Um, so we brought, we brought Bronte home and there was a lot of tears in the car, mainly from the parents. Um, but she was fantastic. She, she was joking about the next day. Uh, she showed great maturity and great grace and forgiveness. Now, there's a reason to teach other, your friends, your, your kids, grace, so they'll forgive you when, you when you stuff up. But here's the thing. One thing, we nearly derailed... I'll, I'll finish that story. Um, nearly derailed her holiday. She, she left on Monday. She, we got her off. She's there in Samoa. Nothing to fear. Still loves us. Amazing. <laughs> one, one thing, though, to derail a holiday, but imagine derailing your faith or derailing a whole church. Here are the warnings. Paul says, foolish controversies and divisive people will derail a church. Let's have a look at it. Verse 9, uh, chapter 3. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Uh, so, so, literally, avoid stupid discussions. Uh, literally, avoid moronic questions and debates. I think you get the, the idea. Um, sidestep them. Walk around them. That's the word for avoid. And it's hard to know what's going on in, in the context of Titus, but it's probable... It, it, it's like there are people squabbling in church around the edges of church. It's like... Have you ever heard... This is, I hope this is okay two old ladies just quibbling over things or a married couple or siblings who just have this quibble, uh, constantly squabbling. And it's hard to know what's going on, but they're looking at genealogies, so perhaps they're, they're looking at heritage. I'm more special than you. I come from a privileged line. Um, or they're debating over the intricacies of the law. So I'm better than you because I obey this part of the law more than you do and you don't. Uh, in other parts of the New Testament, Paul talks about the circumcision group, uh, people that said you must be circumcised in order to be Christian. Um, there's debates over that. And Paul just says, do not get caught up in that. Avoid that, sidestep that, don't, that's a distraction, that's harmful, that will derail the church, it will derail you. Now, what is a foolish controversy? Uh, Because it it can't be saying that there's never a time to have a rigorous theological debate uh, that's useful, that's profitable, that's actually really important. Uh, How do we know that? We know that from Jesus and we know that from Paul, don't we? Uh, If you've read the book of Galatians, Paul is ropeable with the church because they've turned away from the true gospel to believe a false gospel. And, and Jesus has a stinging rebuke at times. He's hard with people. And what's it about? It's the closer the issue gets to the gospel of grace, changing that, modifying that, contradicting that, 
They go hard because this is super important. This is what saves people. And so here's my understanding of foolish controversy. I reckon it's any argument, any issue, any debate that takes up a bucket load of time and energy, burns through relationships, divides people, wins people to your cause, but never grows people as Christians or never saves anyone to Jesus. Do you get the idea? There's lots of those topics, isn't there? Uh, You can spend countless hours talking about baptism. It always concerns me when people say, how do you baptise people in your church? Is it full immersion? You're actually going down the wrong track, aren't you? Uh, Or it's those debates about creation. Is it seven days, seven literal days? Is the earth old earth or young earth? Uh, it could be a debate over modern-day Israel, that's pretty hot at the moment, or a conspiracy theory, or the end times, or the gifts of the Spirit. So much time and energy could be taken up on those things uh, where no one is saved, no one is matured, no one is grown in Christ, it never points anyone to Jesus, it's not full of grace, uh, no one is moved to good works. In fact, It's the kind of thing where it will tear Christians apart uh, and derail a church. It will distract us from the main thing and destroy relationships. But it is tricky, isn't it? How do you work out whether that's a minor thing or a major gospel thing? Uh, Because all of those things I listed, they're all good things to talk about if you talk about them in the the right way, in a healthy way, in a way that builds people up. And even a topic like baptism, it's a nothing until someone says, you must be baptised to be Christian. And then you want to say, no, no, I mustn't be baptised. It's only because of Christ that I'm saved. So it then becomes a gospel issue. So it needs wisdom. But Paul warns us here, don't get caught up in something that's secondary, that's distracting, that moves you away from the gospel of grace. It will divide church. It will destroy, destroy and derail church. And what else does he say? He says, warn the person who is divisive. Um, so literally, warn the faction maker. Uh, warn that person who's always sprouting their own ideas, uh, who doesn't want to have a look at the Bible, but wants to win people to their cause, create a faction against the leadership or against other Christians is not centred on the gospel of grace. That is a divisive person. And what does he say in verse 10? It's actually, it's the the three strikes and you're out rule, isn't it? Look at verse 10. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. It's tricky to know uh, what he means by have nothing to do with them. Uh, I think it's have, don't let them have influence. Certainly don't let them be in leadership. I'm not sure it's saying excommunicate them. Uh, it's, they, they obviously need to come under the sound of the gospel of grace. Um, but it's very clear, isn't it? We can't change them. Uh, God can. Let them hear the gospel of grace. But it doesn't mean they need to have influence because they are divisive. 
So as we, as we wrap up tonight and we think about these things, I want to ask you, what are you passionate about? Uh, what, what is the thing that gets you fired up? Is it the gospel of grace or is it some secondary issue? Have a listen to this uh, guy, Tim Chester. He wrote a commentary on, on Titus. He says this, Which do you prefer, gospel progress worked out or debates that display your own cleverness? Uh, where do you want to put your energy into ways to spread the good news or fights over secondary issues? Um, we're certainly capable of fights over secondary issues, aren't we? Uh, we're all capable of that. It's easy to look outside, but church more broadly, uh, lots of opportunity to fight over secondary issues. Paul says, don't get distracted. Avoid stupid talk. Focus on the gospel of grace. It will motivate you. It will empower you to do good work. Uh, What does John Calvin say? He says, feed the sheep, prevent the straying, remove the wolf. What have we seen tonight? Stress the gospel of grace. Avoid foolish controversies. Be careful. Warn the person who will divide God's church. And as we finish, uh, if you think, you think to yourself, oh, is it really that important? Is it really that urgent? Think about what Satan's goals are. He has the opposite goals, the opposite priorities. What's Satan's goals? Keep the gospel of grace out of the church. Make sure they're distracted away from it. Secondly, get the majoring on the secondary things, the minor things. And thirdly, let troublemakers wreak havoc in church life. Let's pray.